Acts chapter 2. We're going to be picking up the account here in Acts chapter 2. You might remember from last time that Peter had explained to him what was going on and uh, saying, hey, look, these people aren't drunk. This is, this is the fulfillment of what Joel wrote in chapter 2. And then he told them, frankly, what they had done by wicked hands there at Calvary under the Son of God. He then reminded them or brought it to their attention, maybe these people that have read the Word of God many times but didn't realize it, that the fulfillment of those prophecies of David, even the covenant that God Almighty had made with David, that the King, the Messiah, would come from the lineage of David, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then he summarized in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36, he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. We left there. We stopped there. Title for the passage this morning, for the message this morning is, Now what? Now what? You know, there's often times that the terrible news, which is actually loving and gracious news, that men are sinful. Men and women, boys or girls, are sinful. And have themselves by wicked hands sinned against the Almighty. That is terrifying news, isn't it? Well, I dismissed that news for a good long time until, by the grace of God, I didn't and was terrified. Moving forward down through verse 42, we're going to satisfy that question or attempt to uh, the question, now what? Now what? After... After the, this message was preached, it says in verse number 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now what? There's seven points to this message. Hearing, panicking, or excuse me, hearing, pricking, panicking, repenting, baptizing, forgiving, and gifting. Continuing with reviewing, saving, rejoicing, adding, and continuing again. So now what? Particularly, they heard some things, right? That's where it started hearing. They heard. Now when they heard this, they heard the bad news that all have sinned, and particularly that they had sinned. You know, it, it's, it's often a message that people are sinners, and by birth they are sinners. But when you approach into someone's space and say, you have sinned, people oftentimes, rather than being pricked, they get angry. But they heard this. And that hearing is by the power of God. It's it's not the the nature of men to to hear and to be pricked of their hearts. And we're going to see that in just a few minutes. You can read what Paul wrote to the church there in Rome, in Romans chapter 10. Well, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And the gospel must be told. It must be. But there cannot be a telling of the gospel that Jesus is both Lord and Christ without bringing to the, at least the attention, I can't bring to the knowledge, but to the attention of the sinner that they have sinned against the Almighty. You cannot have, and, and Brother Raul and Yeti told me this, well, back in 2016, 
2017, and he refreshed my mind on it, that you can't have the good news without the bad news. You cannot taste of how sweet the gospel is unless you have first tasted of how bitter your sinful condition is. So in hearing this, they knew, they believed, and they believed that they had put their hands on the Son of God unto death. They heard it. They heard that news. They also heard the good news as what Peter said earlier in this message. In verse 21, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's wonderful news, and they heard that good news, and they heard their need of salvation again. So hearing, they had a responsibility to hear. Peter had a responsibility to tell them, right? So that, that incorporates, and this isn't just Peter's responsibility, it was the responsibility of all, because you notice as we read that verse, they said men and brethren, they asked Peter, and the rest of the apostles, those that had stood up in the front there, you could say, the leadership. But it wasn't merely Peter's responsibility, nor was it merely the apostles' responsibility, but the 120 that testified unto them, verse number number uh, 11, that they spoke in their tongues the wonderful works of God. It was the responsibility of the church body to tell these people that they were sinners and Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. That whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They heard that. I heard that from the time I was born. Simply hearing these things and, and seeing a need is not salvation. It's not. There are many people that hear these things and that's where we're getting to the next part. They heard those things, they were pricked. Being pricked means as in sorrow. So Brother Adam brought up some information earlier, and our hearts were pricked, weren't they? Did, weren't you drawn in sorrow to hear what he had to say? Well, their hearts were pricked. They were, they were pierced in sorrow. You want to contrast that, because Peter said essentially the same thing in Acts chapter 5. Look at Acts chapter 5, if you would, please, and verse 33. Acts chapter 5 and verse 33. When they had heard that, again, they heard that they were sinners and they heard that, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and they, He is the Son of God and they heard that they were responsible for the evil. They were cut to the heart. Cut being as sawn or rent. And it drove them, look, and took counsel to slay them. It drew them to a furious anger. There are two responses to the hearing of the gospel. You have sinned. Repent ye, as Jesus Christ said. Not repent all, repent ye personally. There are two responses to the gospel. Both of these groups, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 5, heard the message. Those in Acts chapter 2, by the grace and the mercy of God, they were pricked in their heart. Now what? You see, it was the you see men's responsibility in the hearing, but you see God at work in the pricking. I don't know who the Lord is going to prick their heart. 
We stand out there with them signs. We tell our, those of our personal uh, acquaintance and, and, and interactions. We don't know who God's going to prick. But haven't you experienced that? Some are pricked. Some are cut. Same message. Same message. But without that pricking, there is no salvation. Why? Because look what happens next. Men and brethren, what shall we do? So when someone is pricked by God, they then come to a place of panic. What do I do? What do I do? You ever, you ever done something? And as soon as you did it, you're like, oh, man, what am I going to do? They're going to find this. I can't hide this. What am I going to do? What do I do? What do I do? They were wicked and guilty before God. Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 through 25. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Panic! Panic before God. There is no one that has ever been saved or will be saved. Yet before the wondrous event, they were first broken and in a full panic before God. Broken and a full panic. I know our experiences do not supersede or, or come above what the scripture says. But the scripture does say they were panicked. In Second Peter, he said, "God is long-suffering toward us." For God, excuse me, God is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slack, slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, us for not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. How does that happen? Out of pure panic, knowledge that we have sinned before the holy God, the, the majestic God, throne. Panicked. What is the resolution? What is what is the remedy of panic? Now what? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Repentance. Yeah. Rep- he said, say, repent and be baptized, every one of you. So not as a group repent, or not not as a school of fish where one turns and they all turn, but none of them know where they're going. But individually, the person in your shoes repents, every one of you. This was the message of John the Baptist, repentance. And look, turn to the, the, the gospel according to Mark, please, if you would, just, just for a, a moment here. In Mark chapter 1, and the first few verses there. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. 
John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission or because of the remission of sins. Repentance. What did the what did the Lord Jesus Christ teach in Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15? Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Why would they? If they were not in a panic. If they were not pricked. If they had not heard such message. No, this message of repentance, every one of you, Demanding the personal accountability in this matter before God. Repent, every one of you. But why would someone repent if they're doing everything right? Why would these people have a need to repent? They were there under their religious observances. Why repent? You might have the same conversation with people in your life. Well, why do you repent? Why should I repent? One will not repent unless they are first panicked before God. If someone has not been panicked in their guilt before God, there's no need for repentance. And if they can find, listen, if they can find a remedy in themselves, then they're not really panicked. Adam and Eve, they weren't panicked before God. They tried to find the remedy in themselves with their fig leaves. That's what religion is. No, repentance is turning from self and turning to Christ. It is necessity. Repentance is necessity unto salvation. One cannot hold to themselves. And if someone is truly panicked before God, they will have no desire to hold to themselves. I mean, if I can't... If I can't make it down the road, would you expect that I could help get you there? Sure. No. Sorry. How confident would you all be to get in this red van over here that wouldn't start as of yesterday? And I said, okay, let's, let's drive over to Denham Springs in it. Would you all be very confident in that? <laughs> no. Why? Because it doesn't work. Repentance. You would One only repents having so in a panic, a full panic. You wouldn't jump in a boat that has a hole in it. One will not turn to Christ if they have not been in a full panic unto repentance. Otherwise, they attempt some kind of reforming. Oh, I'll better myself. I'll quit cussing. I'll quit dipping. I'll quit drinking. I'll quit this. I'll quit that. A worldly religion does not demand repentance, but guides in being a better you. In Genesis chapter 3, when... Satan said, you're not going to really die. In fact, if you eat that, you'll be like God. Worldly religion encourages you under Satan's guidance to be a better you. No, the message of repentance says you're better you. The best that you could do was by wicked hands crucify and slay the Son of God. The best that I could do brought God judging Christ on my behalf. That's a panic. That's repentance. Now what? Now what? He says in verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Baptism. Be baptized every one of you. 
Now, that word for means because of. That's right. So it's believer's baptism. Okay? So baptism does not, does not save. You take an unsaved person and you baptize them, you got a person taking a bath. Okay? Baptism is the first responsibility of the believer in the Lord's assembly, not just out anywhere. You know what? It was, if you go back and read concerning John's baptism, there wasn't a whole lot of defining of what that was, meaning there were other people doing it. It wasn't a new and foreign concept, baptism. But there was one man sent from God, and his name was John. Why didn't the Lord Jesus Christ go to every other person that was out there baptizing? Because it was one man sent from God, and his name was John, authority. So the first responsibility of the believer is to be baptized into the Lord's assembly holding proper authority. He didn't tell them, go find you somebody to be baptized. He he, he was telling them, yes, repent and be baptized. What baptism represents, it's an open testimony of the believer of the gospel, that he died, was buried, and rose again. Peter said that he, it was not possible that, that he should be holding of it, meaning death. So in their baptism, they were going to be showing by picture that they believed Jesus, the Son of God, died, was buried, and rose again. And calling upon him, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that their salvation rested on his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the picture of baptism. It's also the door and port of entry into the Lord's assembly. And we're going to read that. It says that there were added unto them 3,000 souls in verse 41. How did that come? Well, there are many that believe. There are many that repent. There are many that panic unto repentance. And there are many that are believers. They're the children of God. But that baptism, they were baptized with authority there. That's when they became members of that assembly is through baptism. Everyone does not have authority to baptize. Okay? They don't. That's right. Like begets like. Like begets like. Where did the authority originate of these societies abroad? Uh, down here, over there, back here, up the road. Where did their authority originate? That's a question we have to ask ourselves as well. Where did our authority originate? I believe our authority originated in Galilee some 2,000 years ago. That's right. And that promise continues to this day. I say again, as I've said often, if it were to turn out that this assembly is not authentic unto Galilee, Jesus Christ himself, then with haste I would lead you to the correct assembly, such as I would believe it, that we would follow the Lord in appropriate uh, lineage and authority and baptism. That's how serious it is. I don't have to be right, but God is right. Jesus Christ is right. So who has authority to baptize? Well, those that have authority given from God. If someone says, yes, I have authority given from God, but their lineage, their, their, their authority it, it is not traced back through the ages, then their, then their authority then must come direct to man. There's a lot of people that believe in direct authority. We can just start something up and do whatever we want. Well, that means God himself, Jesus Christ, in the flesh would come to that assembly and say, I give you authority to proceed. And I don't believe he's done that. I believe when he ascended, he has been ascended until he's coming back. And that's in future time. 
In Matthew chapter 28, please turn there just for a moment. This baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. It is the command of the children of God to repent by the power of God and then be baptized. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, all authority, all ability is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So how important is this authority? It's heaven and earth authority. It's not whims and fancy authority. It's not, I think, I guess, well, I don't know, authority. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, heaven and earth authority. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them what, uh, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or the end of the age. Here's perpetuity. Here's authority. Here's the confidence that God is with them. Amen. That's how it closes. This authority is singular in nature. And unless handed down through the ages in succession, and what I mean by succession is light begets light, church produces church, offspring, offspring church. This church came from Providence Baptist Church in Henderson, Texas. Came from one thing. Yesterday we were talking about baptism because of the events of the day. And Carissa and I both covered up our, our, our faces, nose down. And you know when we do that side by side, it's striking how much Carissa and I look alike. Like begets like. Like begets like. That's what Jesus Christ is teaching. That's what Peter is teaching in Acts chapter 2. Unless it's handed down by succession, it must have been handed down by God himself under individual upstarts. And I don't believe that's the case. And failure to comply with this is failure to observe whatsoever the Lord commanded. He said, observe whatsoever I've commanded. It's failure to observe that. That's a disobedient act. For one to repent and not be properly baptized into the Lord's assembly, that is an act of disobedience. Well, I didn't know. You know what? Back there in the book of Leviticus, there are sacrifices for sins of ignorance. I didn't know is sin. But you know, we have a part in that also, children of God. We are to tell every creature to repent and be baptized. You know, some folks leave off the importance of the Lord's church because we don't want that to get in the way. What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized. Baptism doesn't save. How important is the Lord's command and commission in church? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. It's that important. To lessen it is to lessen the authority of Jesus Christ and even Christ himself. Repent and be baptized. Verse 38 also. In the name of Jesus Christ or in the reputation of Jesus Christ for or because of the remission or forgiveness of sins. So forgiving. The source of forgiveness is the name and the reputation and the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the source of forgiveness. If you're in a panic... And you say, you know what? What should I do? Well, I say, I'm sorry. Well, that, 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 I repent. That forgave it. No. Well, what, man and brother, what do I do? Well, I'm going to be baptized and that'll fix my problems. No. In the name of Jesus Christ, because of remission of sins, that is, that is forgiveness. That is the, that is the cause for a cure of the problem. I'm not saved because I repented, nor am I saved because I was baptized. 
I'm saved because of the name or the glory or the gospel of Jesus Christ brings remission or forgiveness of sins. Whosoever shall in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why? Because Jesus came to save his people from their sins. The source of forgiveness then is the gospel. The source of forgiveness is not being pricked or hearing or panicked or repenting. The source of forgiveness is Jesus Christ alone. And this is where sometimes people get head knowledge really gets them in trouble. There was many times and many messages over the years that, boy, my heart was touched over, over a message. Or, or a certain song would be saying, and my heart was touched over a message. That stuff didn't save me. Jesus Christ dying for me saved me. The source of forgiveness. The source of forgiveness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And forgiveness in his gospel is a prerequisite of baptism. Look again in verse 41. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. They were believers. They were made alive who were once dead. Then they were baptized. That word for again is meaning because of, indicating that remission or forgiveness of sins precedes repentance and baptism. Jesus Christ died for me a long time before I was born. In the mind of God, in eternity, I was forgiven of sin a long time before creation. If you'll allow me that word time, it was made known September 8th, 2001. It was made known to me. But that work of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, came before any of that. It came before anything that I had done or anything I had thought. Even before the sin that I, that I would commit and do commit and will commit, Jesus Christ. He's the lamb slain for before, the, before the foundation of the world. So you ask people what the, the source of their forgiveness. Are you saved? Why do you say that? Listen to their answer. Are you saved? Why do you say that? Well, because I got, you know, I was really upset one day and I prayed out to God. The answer better be something in the fashion. God revealed to me my sinful case and how wicked I was. And he, by the grace of God, showed me that only in the gospel effort of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, can any vile, disgusting sinner be saved. And he made it personal unto me. He died and rose again for me. That's forgiveness of sin. Any kind of feeling, any kind of emotion, any kind of doing, that stuff does not bring forgiveness of sin. There is a repentance to be grieved over, and that's what happened to Judas. He repented and then hung himself. That's a worldly repentance. There's forgiveness there. And then there's gifting in verse 38. And then you shall receive and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Gifting. Get the order right. Salvation is being born again. John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. You must be born again. You must be born from above. Nicodemus had a lot of knowledge. He was not saved. The Lord did save him, but not as of yet. Not as of John chapter 3. A dead thing having no ability cannot repent or accept it. First, except first they are given life to do so. In the ordination, I was asked, what comes first, repentance or the new birth? It has to be the new birth because a dead thing can't do anything. So repentance, because of the forgiveness of sins, is the right order. Because salvation, a sinner repents. Because of salvation, a sinner repents. 
Then being born again, a repentant sinner follows the Lord in baptism. That's what they do. What happened in Matthew chapter 3? All of Judea and round about, they came to John confessing their sins unto baptism. What did John preach in Mark chapter 1? The baptism of repentance. Born again sinner will follow the Lord in baptism. Baptism can't or will not save. Can or won't save. A person save a saved person already having the Spirit then. Think about this. If the Spirit of God comes in, reading John chapter 3, you would see that the Spirit listeth as the wind and comes in, and the, and the Spirit of God makes one alive. A saved person already has the Spirit of God in salvation. Then would receive the Spirit in the church. Is this an extra unction of the Spirit? People submitting to the Lord and His assembly do have a special gifting of the Spirit. That's exactly what Peter said. Amen. I'm not, you know, that's what he said. Look, look at it. Is that what he said? Then Peter said, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or because of the remission of sin. So because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you being pricked and panicked in your heart, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then immediately be baptized. Believers already having the Spirit of God unto the newness of life there, already having the Spirit of God unto the new birth, that is, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That gift of the Holy Ghost the people submitted to the Lord in his assembly and they have a special gifting of the Spirit of God. It's not because I'm smarter or you're smarter or I'm more diligent and you're more diligent. It's not because we're better people. I mean, I say this in the nicest possible way. Look at us. You know? It's not because we're just, you know, the cream of the crop of society. It's because God in his grace set his church in order such as pleased him. And he said, lo, I am with you. That's his promise. And he also promised the gift of the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit will come unto his assembly. Those are his promises. In John chapter 15, we've read already that he would send the Spirit that would come from the Father that would testify of him. And that's exactly what his assembly does. It's not given to every other society out there, but his assembly. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom, truth in his assembly. what it says right am i am i misinterpreting that no to say otherwise is to say after you repent and after you're baptized and after you do all these things then god will save you and that's foreign to scripture to put all these efforts in man's hands and then save them that is foreign of scripture cover to cover it really is no to read that in its in its in its in, in consistency and context a person seeing themselves as a sinner, vile before God, crying out unto the Lord by the power of God, calling unto the Lord uh, unto salvation, then receiving these things, being baptized unto the Lord's assembly, his, uh, that authority, then would receive uh, the, 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 the special gifting of, of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean tongues and all that kind of stuff? No, I believe, again, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And things pertaining to God. When they had tongues, what did they do? They testified of the wonderful works of, of, of God. Then he reviewed verses 39 and 40. Look at verses 39 and 40. 
For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other, sign, other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. The promise of salvation unto the children, the Jews, and unto the Gentiles, those that are far off. Jews and Gentiles. That's a pretty great review. That it's not just not just to, to the children of Israel. And he says, as many as the Lord shall call. As many as the Lord shall call. So look back, if you would, and read the entirety in the book of Joel. Uh, Joel chapter, and it's page 907. Uh, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, the, the children and the, 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 uh, those that are far off, it says in Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered or saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance or salvation. As the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So the whosoever on one end is also by the, 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 the election of God on the other. It's the same group. You know, there's not a group over here calling on the Lord and then a group over here that, that, uh, that, that, that the, the Lord may or may not receive and then you've got to take a group out of the middle. No, it's the same group. Every one of the remnant whom the Lord shall call shall call upon the name of the Lord. And who will do that? Those that, hearing the word of God, are pricked and panicked and repent unto the Lord. It's the same group. He shall save his people from their sins. That's the same group. Election is sure and true, knowing that knowing that I'm won't save you. I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. Knowing that precious doctrine won't save a single person. There are many people that can articulate. I could before the Lord saved me. I could tell you all about it, the details. Having not been pricked and panicked, and having not repented uh, after the new birth. And turning to the Lord, it was just a head knowledge. I, I was a practicing Gnostic. Thought my knowledge would bring salvation. No, no, no. No, it's an experience there for sure. You see saving. Saving in verse 41. Now what? Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. They had grief and guilt. They heard, and in their grief and their guilt, they uh, were recipients of the grace of God, and now you have gratitude. They gladly received the word. They had relief of their panic only in the gospel. They were panicked over the lost and wicked condition. They, uh, Having been forgiven, seeing that salvation is of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, he shall save all those that call upon him. They were glad to repent. Child of God, weren't you glad in the day of repentance? Weren't you glad? Oh, you were grieved. And the grace of God being real in your life, weren't you glad that God would save, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, such a sinner as yourself? Notice salvation proceeds, but is not without a change of mind and a change of behavior. Yes. A change of mind and a change of behavior won't save you. But you can't be saved and continue in your same mind and same behavior. That's right. As John Jasper says, if you is what you was, you ain't. That's right. 
They were glad. Now, it's not fun to be pricked, but they were glad to be wicked. Yeah, they cast in, hey, crucify him, crucify him. They were glad to do it. They were glad to be wicked. They were glad to crucify the Lord. They were glad to persist in dead religious works. Up until those moments, they were glad receiving the word. They were glad until they weren't. Receiving the word, they were glad to turn from these to the Lord Jesus Christ, calling on the Lord. That is true repentance. You imagine, children of God, if you are indeed saved, you have experienced this. Everybody doesn't experience it the same, but you, you have experienced this. You were glad to be evil and wicked and thinking you were somebody. You were pricked and panicked in the heart. You repented of yourself and turned to Christ and were glad because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One cannot be saved outside of receiving this gospel account. And one cannot be saved outside of repentance. But it is a glad day. You see that rejoicing. It's a glad thing for a sinner knowing their guilt before God to know that they are justified in Jesus Christ. Men and brethren, what do we do? They went from a panic to being glad and rejoicing. What happened in the middle? Jesus Christ saved them of their sins. God the Father, the Spirit of God, making them alive to trust in Jesus Christ unto salvation. It's a glad thing to call upon the Lord and for the Lord to hear. Listen to, listen to the psalmist in the, the book of Psalms, chapter 77. Look, if you would, please. I, I like the, the, the Psalms of Asaph. He really gets to it. Psalm 77, if you would, please. See if there's there's a parallel to Psalm 77 and what these men might have experienced in Acts chapter 2 and and what you experienced in your own salvation. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and He gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth, he prom- doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercy, Selah? And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Speaking of Christ himself. Asaph was in a complete panic. And before God, he saw himself as one wicked and vile, what do I do? He remembered the hand, the right hand of the Most High. Yes, in rejoicing, they called upon the name of the Lord, rejoicing again by the grace of God that God did hear them. Rejoicing in salvation. What is the source of your rejoicing? Man, if you rejoice or don't rejoice based on the quality of my preaching, you're going to be pretty depressed most of the time. But if this source of your rejoicing is the finished work of Jesus Christ, 
Because you are a sinner, and in spite of that, God in His love, Jesus Christ, died, was buried, and rose again for you. That's cause for rejoicing. If your rejoicing is in your good works or in your labor or what you know, then sometimes we might forget, and sometimes we might slip. But if your rejoicing, if your gladness is in the gospel of Christ, Oh, be glad and glad and sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receive us, sinful men. Rejoicing, true rejoicing. And in their rejoicing, what else was there? There was adding. Then they glad to receive the word were baptized. Then the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They that glad to receive the word were baptized. Under what authority? Again, under the authority of Jesus Christ, not authority of old Bob down the road. That's right. Did they baptize each other and start some new thing? I know uh, people that uh, historically that they were out here doing their own thing and they just laid hands on one another and started a new group. Is that what they did? No. You can't add to something that's that's not there. <laughs> so, you know, that's, a, that's you know, Three Stooges kind of directions. No, you can't. So something was in existence and then there was added to it. Added to it. It was the Lord's assembly that he had authorized. They were added unto them. They joined that assembly that had the authority of Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter 28. No one has the right to start their own new thing. These people, glad they're receiving the word, being saved, do they have the right to start their own new thing and start their own new rules? Absolutely not. That's right. That kind of mentality confuses excuse me, confesses that Christ was a liar. Oh, Christ can't do it on his own. I've got to start my own new thing. That kind of mentality also confesses that Christ's way is inferior to man's way. It would have to, right? If Christ has one way and man has another way and I prefer to go to man's way than Christ's way, that confesses that I believe man's way is better than Christ's way. Just follow the logic on that. It is the right for the children of God being gladly receiving the word to be added unto the Lord's assembly. And how is that done? They that gladly received the word were baptized. Entry into the Lord's assembly. Right there. They were continuing. We'll look at verse 42. And we're going to study verse 42 in deep, deeper next week. So we'll, we'll just touch on it. Continuing. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking bread and in prayers. We see the next generation as promised. The Lord said, Lo, I am with you until the end of the age. You see the first step of the next generation of the Lord's assembly right there. Continuation. Perpetuity. It promises several things. And continuation or perpetuity is the continuation of the true and authentic gospel. There's a lot of versions of the gospel out there that are not another gospel. These people who are four and a half pointers, that God is sovereign and he'll save you if you let him. Those people are zero pointers. They do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. He promised the continuation of the true and authentic gospel through his church. And that's the purpose of the Lord's assembly. Go back in chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power or authority and ability. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. Continuation of the Lord's assembly, first and foremost, is a continuation of the true and authentic gospel. That's why the Lord established his assembly, to perpetuate the, the proclaiming of his gospel. It also is a promise in perpetuity, the continuation of the true 
and Christ commissioned doctrine and teaching. What sort of things I have told you? It's also a continuation of the true and faithful assembly. It's a continuation of the true and blessed promise of Christ's presence. It's a continuation of the true and sweet fellowship of God's people. Look, it says that they they had uh, they continued in fellowship, didn't it? And fellowship. No loners, no isolationists, no separatists. No, sweet fellowship of God's people. And also a continuation of the true and anticipatory witness of the return of Jesus Christ. That where it says the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you show the Lord's death until he come. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Also a continuation of true and satisfying testimony of prayer. But this continuing in the, they, they that gladly received the word were baptized, continuing in the Lord's assembly. Does that mean no one can know anything outside the Lord's assembly, or no one can fellowship outside the Lord's assembly, or no one uh, can, can pray outside the Lord's assembly? It doesn't mean that. But there is a special gifting of the Holy Spirit in his assembly. And one doing it outside of his assembly is missing out on a lot of blessing. I would say that outside the Lord's assembly there is no breaking of bread, or there is no true um, taking of the Lord's Supper because they don't have authority to do it. Just like there's no authority to baptize outside of it. But it comes back to the glory of God. Not the glory of man or the Lord's assembly. It comes back to the glory of God. So the title of this message, Now What? Children of God, Now What? Where are we in this? I encourage you to seek the Lord, ultimately desiring to continue steadfastly in the doctrine as they did. So in testifying of the gospel, tell it so that others would hear if you try to soften it so that others are not pricked or cut to the heart, then you're trying your own way of doing things and, and leaving off God's way of doing anything. You know, sometimes we like to be liked. So to be liked, we don't we don't lay it out there. You're a sinner. Just like me. But you have sinned against God. Repent. There'll be two conclusions that people will come to when they hear this type of thing. They'll they'll be they'll be uh, pricked or cut. Yeah. We like it when people are pricked to the heart. We don't like it when people are cut to the heart. Well, that's the Lord's business. That's right. Encouraging people to repent and be baptized, every one of them, because of the remission of sins that Christ in His gospel forgave, but only in His gospel. Depend on the Lord that he will indeed save his people and don't try to use your own means. Just just follow the outline of what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. Children of God, in true authenticity, and then now what? We can't do this outside the Lord's assembly. It would be wrong for us to do that. It would. The statement, repent and be baptized every one of you, and continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, you can't separate those. It's not like one command here and one command there. To follow steadfastly, continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, it would be done through repenting and being baptized, every one of you, because of or for the remission of sins. It's a natural flow. May the Lord guide us in these things. Sinner. I can't make you panic. I could stand up here and do as my best. There's a man, Jonathan Edwards, he preached a message several times called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I don't know if you've ever heard of that message or not. I've got it printed out. Um, 
And there's, he went around preaching. It was a famous message that so much that there was a, a reporter that went and heard the message. And he, he, didn't, he didn't listen to the message. He was writing of the people's response to the message. Grown men weeping, white knuckles holding onto the pews, full apparent panic. But sometimes when we hear a message like that, I know it's in one ear, out the other, back to life, back to living. But when God panics you, in your wickedness, there is no going back. There is no continue on in the same. No, when one is truly panicked by God Almighty and their sinfulness, they will call upon the Lord. No man shall come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. They will, in their panic, flee to Christ for refuge, as it says in Hebrews chapter 6. I encourage you to at least evaluate your sinfulness before God. May God panic you. Oh, may He panic you. And that you have nowhere else but to flee to Christ for refuge. That in your panic you call on the name of the Lord and be saved. By that marvelous work of God, that you would confess your sins, being baptized, gladly receiving the word. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.